Two years ago, I began a research project to create a comprehensive history of the Baltic region of Europe. It was getting very monotonous until I found something more sinister lying behind the history of the region. An enigmatic event with a shadow of secrecy and depravity surrounding it revealed itself deep into my research. This is Four Days of Severin. I'm Holden. You might be wondering why I was trying to create a comprehensive history of the Baltic region of Europe in my early years of high school. So I can get into history really easily, especially anytime I'm researching history because I want to. This is how I became motivated to begin this podcast. When I stumbled upon the Baltic Wars of Independence while studying post-World War I Europe, I started looking further into the history of the Baltic region. I fairly quickly became entranced with the history. I don't know exactly what pulled me in, but I really started to become obsessed with the Baltic region when I read about their role in the Northern Crusades and their resistance to Christianization. I started to research the time period in Latvia more in depth, and I found a reference to an event called the Four Days of Severin in one of the articles I read. It had very little information about the actual event, but what I could gather from the small bit of info on the page was that over the course of four days in the 12th century, a village disappeared. It started out small, with a missing kid. Nobody knew where the kid was or how they could have disappeared. Word spread of it quickly to other nearby villages, and the missing people started getting more frequent. By the end of the four days, everyone in the village had disappeared. I am now no longer able to find the original article that I had read about this from. It appears to have been deleted. I tried to begin getting to read more into the event, and I found only one article referring to an event called the Four Days of Severin. It was titled The Murder of a Village, and was written in 2005 by Don Travers. It was posted to a small news site, but the original had been deleted. The only copy of it was found in an old post to Reddit from the time. I will read it here. The early 12th century, the place, a small village in a state called Piemere. It was likely late spring, and the rolling hills were still blanketed by forests and wildlife. A lone mother made her way back into the village she knew so well. All looked well as she approached her quaint home, but when she arrived, nobody answered her greeting calls. She looked around and found everything in place, everything except the people. Her son had vanished. Food, clothing, fresh water, and everything else needed for life here were all at the ready. She stood on the shore of the Baltic Sea and pondered the mystery, then went straight away and reported the disappearance to the rest of the village. Since then, the story that entailed, the Four Days of Severin, has been a Latvian mystery only to come up every once in a while when a new addition to the story comes up. You'd hardly recognize the area now, now that the area has been industrialized and been turned into the suburbs that cover so much of the world now. Piemere was one of the largest and most populous of the Curonian states that covered modern Latvia at the time, and is now home to one of the biggest cities in Latvia, Liepaja. There were many major settlements within the whole of this territory, but the village we speak of in this enigma was near none of them. 
The closest large settlement was 20 miles east, over a lake. Little else is known about the location, except that the village was likely located between the Baltic Sea and two lakes called Tosmare and Liepajas Ezers. During most of the year, it's an unbroken sheet of grass and trees with the lakes' two dots, completely indistinct from anything within a hundred miles in any direction inland. They called this part of Piemere Sagrata Grida, or the Broken Grounds. The most famous account of this mysterious event comes from the sole known survivor, in which they tell the story they believe will be their final moments. She tells how the creatures they refer to as the Slamiba returned to the village site each day and confirmed their intent to exterminate them. And like many other accounts, they were unable to find any trace of the villagers when they returned, nor come up with any suggestion why the Slamiba might want only the villagers and have left all of the valuables behind. Their fishing canoes still sat on the beach, meals still hung over long dead cooking fires. Fair warning, this is translated from Old Curonian, so some of the translation is awkward at times. I am writing this to describe the events of the day that are notable. Early this morning, the child of Judith is gone. She was near the large rock above Ida's home when her mother went inside to bring her brother outside. When her mother returned outside, she was not there. The village has become sad. Tonight, we held a funeral for Vita. Her daughter was halfway to adulthood. Everyone here is affected by the missing child. I'm writing this to describe the events of the day that are notable. This morning, the Ozzel's family is gone. We awoke, and they were not there. We can find no bodies, and we are not sure what happened. After we saw an odd creature, it seemed like a wolf and a bear. Could not have been either. Helen believes this creature may be linked to Vita and the Ozzel's leaving. I'm unsure. In any happening, I pray that the demon haunting us can leave our place in the heavens of the earth. I pray no more to be gone. I am writing this to describe the events of the day that are notable. The events of this day have become scarier. We awoke, and the crewmen's, the Oslands, and the Bersons are gone. Today a body was found. Edith was found in the Oslands home of our place in the heavens of the earth. The Bersons home was burned today. We returned from our hunt to see the flames surrounding the home that had been empty when we had left. Another one of the creatures we saw yesterday was seen today. It was seen from a distance, but it seemed to have a red stain on its mouth. I am beginning to believe Helen more that the creatures are linked to the missing. The purpose of this writing has now drastically changed. I am Helen. The former writer, the mayor, Ludwig, has gone missing by way of the Slamoba along with the entirety of the village, except for myself and my child, Valerie. It all began this morning, when a shriek came from the home nearest to the water. The home was burning, and the two who were inside came out, burning as well, still screaming. One of the Slamoba followed them out and continued on the next home. Most of the village left their homes to avoid the Slamoba. As they did, more came from the forest to greet us. By that point, I had begun down the hunting path with Valerie in my hands. I watched everyone in the village be burned. I now sit here in the trees, 
looking out over the water towards the island we call Lauma, fearing for my life. I am constantly checking and rechecking that none of them are around me. It's not so bad. The first harvest would have been half a year from now, meaning the plants are just now starting to flower. The leaves are turning red, and it's beautiful. I don't know what's going to happen to me from here. If I can make the swim at Alauma, I would, but I can't. Eventually they will find me, and what happened to the rest of the village will happen to me. There are a number of things about this story that raise red flags. For one thing, it happened during late spring based on everything except one fact. The red leaves. Not only would the trees she speaks of have green leaves at this time of year, the trees at the time would have probably been evergreens. The very presence of red leaves in this location is suspect, though not impossible. The story here also references an island. These western villages of the period were quite free of pollution and thus had good visibility most days. However, the nearest island to the area is over a hundred miles offshore. The curvature of the earth would not have allowed them to see this island, and this would be by far the closest island mentioned in the historical documents of the time period. It is possible that she was hallucinating under stress and pressure after the disappearances. This island, while not impossible, is also highly suspect. This account also has descriptions of a permanent settlement, quote, our place in the heavens of the earth. All accounts of the rural parts of Piemere at the time point to most populations outside the larger cities being wanderers or like gypsies of sorts. They had had permanent homes. So there was either a series of quite improbable circumstances, or this was not a first-hand account, or this citizen was lying. Today, no physical evidence exists of a village at the described location, and nobody has ever published an account of going up there and searching for any remnants. So, we must rely on scant evidence to find the true history of the vanishing village. The earliest recorded publication about the Four Days of Severin is an article from September 16, 1921, written by an Alfie D. Snell in a local newspaper. Snell told the apparent survivor's story and gave the village a population of 40 and offered a more reserved version of the artifacts found. The article included a generic photograph of a village. Next, an international police force attempted to begin an investigation into the occurrence and truthfulness of the account quoted earlier. They quickly ran out of funding after finding nothing and shut down the investigation. There has been barely a single other reference to the event since then. There was one reference in an online article last year in 2004, on a small news site called Denelix News. What is a fact-hunting researcher to do? That brings us to this article. My goal here is to inform the general public of the horrors that occurred during this time. We need to know what happened during that time, because if those monsters described were as she described, we're in trouble. I call upon the governments of the world and the United Nations to investigate further into this tragedy to find the truth.
I couldn't find any reference to either the first article he mentions here or the investigation that he claims occurred. The second article he mentions, from 2004, was the original article I found this event in. I also could not find the first-hand account that he speaks of, but I want to believe him when it's the only thing out there on the event. I can't help but still be skeptical, though. The first thing I did when I found this new article was to go to my history teacher. He had been helping me through the history of the Baltic region, and I thought he might know about this. Mr. Gull? Yes? Can I talk to you about something? It's called the Four Days of Severin? Yes. What do you I gave him a quick summary of the article I'd read. He told me he had no new information for me, and everything he knew about it I already knew. He did, however, refer me to another one of the teachers at the school, who was the source he had heard about the event from. Mr. Gull told me to be expecting you. You want to know about the four days of Severn? Yeah. As you probably already know if you've done some research on the topic, there was a village in what is now Western Latvia, in a state called Piemere at the time. It was a very isolated area at this time, with no notable city for a hundred miles in each direction. The village was called Juris, and in the early 1100s AD, it was apparently invaded by something. Over the course of four days or so, the entire village was brutally murdered. Could I ask you some questions? Sure. Did anyone survive? Yes, there was probably at least one person who survived the initial four days of the killings. There is a supposed first-hand account from them that has survived until today. What about the discrepancies between the seasons in the account? Like how everything in the story points to it being springtime, except for the red leaves. Oh, I, I see. You read that article. Listen, I don't swear very often. But most of the analysis of that article is complete bull****. The facts in that article are decent, and the first-hand account stands up. But the analysis is horrible. It assumes a modern world when the events he speaks of happened a millennium ago. So, the articles, the places, all that was true in the article? Yes. He just applied it wrong. Yes, you can't apply modern occurrences to ancient events, especially considering the apparent uh, magic or sorcery surrounding the situation. What do you mean? One of the reasons this event has so little information on it is that none of it makes sense with any science or history we know now. Wow. Was there any actual investigation into the event that occurred? There was one conducted through the League of Nations, back when that was still a thing, in the early 20th century. But they found nothing and ran out of money pretty quickly. Why weren't they funded further? They'd been given a huge sum of money for the investigation. Upwards of $10 million. They'd found nothing with all that, so they abandoned it, assuming there wouldn't be anything else. Why has nobody picked it back up since? Since we have no information on it, nobody rich enough to fund an investigation cares enough about it. Does the village still exist today? 
Not that anyone can find. How hard have people really looked, though? Well, they did build a city over it, so I'd assume pretty hard. Okay, well, what can you tell me about those monsters that seem to have attacked them? Have you read the account given by the survivors, specifically their descriptions of these things you call monsters? Yes, or at least the portion that was in the article you called BS. Are they not monsters? Well, that could be one way to put it. You must not be very familiar with the cults of that period. No, not really. Should I be? Uh, that's okay. Nobody really is. It's some really hidden stuff. I can send you some documents on it, but basically there was a cult called the Ericanis. Their members dressed in a way that would look almost identical to the description given in the first-hand account. Holden? Could I see those documents? I'll have to dig them up, but I can scan them and send you a copy by email tonight. Thank you. You're welcome. I did receive those documents that night, and I'll read those out on the next episode. While today's interview was informative, it didn't really reveal much groundbreaking new information. I still have lots of questions, especially and specifically about the cult he mentioned, the Ericanis. What did they want with this village and why? Who are they? What do they believe? Are they still around? All this and more, hopefully, next time on Four Days of Severn with me, Holden. This show's executive producer is Oliver Yates, produced, edited, and mixed by myself, Holden. A special thanks to my friend, Alex, for reading the account given in the article. You can find him on YouTube at The Obsidian Sword. Thanks to a Mr. Errol Mays, who I interviewed today, for his expertise on this subject, and to Mr. Ash Gull, who put me in contact with Mr. Mays. All music is either an original composition by Oliver Yates or myself, or is from Incompetech.com and composed by Kevin McLeod. Thanks for listening to Four Days of Severn, and come back next episode for more answers.